0: Our system resource groups are born out of commonalities. And so when I speak of affinity, I mean that commonality piece. And what we try and do with our groups is to educate them to understand that we want that commonality, we want to leverage that. But in order for it to be most effective and for you to get the most bang for your buck, you need to reach outside of that group to bring in the diversity of thought and ideas in order to make the most impact. And oftentimes the partners who can help you do that in the most effective way will be outside of your group. And so I think it's become common practice here at Atrium that even though all of our system resource groups are born out of commonalities, we understand that we have to get beyond that small tight group
1: in order to really move toward the goals of the organization. That's Peggy Harris, Assistant Vice President, Diversity and Inclusion at Atrium Health in Charlotte, North Carolina. She's talking about why she and her organization have stressed the need for intersectional partnerships between their various employee groups and other parts of the organization. Peggy is my first guest in this episode of ERG Power Talk. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders, as well as others that are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and find stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors, Atrium Health, Frederick Health and Medical College of Wisconsin, and Mass Mutual. Now, let's go straight to the program. Hi, Peggy. Thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. So to start, tell me about your current role.
0: In my current role, I serve as the Assistant Vice President for Diversity and Inclusion here at Atrium Health where I'm responsible for human resources, diversity analytics, community engagement and teammate engagement, which happens to include helping to lead the strategy for our diversity councils and system resource groups.
1: So let me ask you this, in terms of getting into the role you are now, you know, what's the background that brought you there?
0: Well, I have a diverse work background. I have worked here at Atrium now for close to 25 years. My background is nursing. I received my undergraduate degree in nursing from Florida State University and came to North Carolina some 20 plus years ago and worked as a nurse nursing leader at one of our hospitals and when I ended up getting my master's degree, I moved into hospital administration. I served as the assistant administrator for one of our local hospitals and vice president of operations there. Took another turn and moved into facilities management. And did something totally different, managed the corporate laundry, amongst other things. But I would say that how I got into this space, though, diversity was sort of an other duty as a sign, quote unquote, that sort of landed in my plate some years before where I led our first diversity council for the system. And because I've been doing that on an ongoing basis throughout the trajectory of my career, about 10 or so years ago, the organization's leaders decided that we should have a diversity strategy for the company. I was tasked to open the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. And so I've been working in this particular space for about 10 years now.
1: Interesting. So you have actual healthcare firsthand experience in your wheelhouse there, which is really good being yes. in the kind of environment that you're in. So let's move to our topic for today, which is the power of forming and leveraging intersectional partnerships. Give me your definition of an intersectional partnership.
0: For me, an intersectional partnership those relate those collaborative relationships that allow us to execute uh, on our work at the highest levels. I think that we have to be able to identify partnerships in order to effectively get the work done. I will say that here at Atrium, uh, a lot of the work that we do is based on relationships and influence. So we're working in spaces where other leaders maybe have the responsibility for organizationally for that work, but we work with them in order to elevate the needs from a diversity, inclusion, and equity perspective. And so in in, in order to be collaborative and to leverage those relationships and have the influence that we need in order to get the work done, the idea of collaboration is not optional, something that we have to do. And to be able to identify those intersectional partnerships is very, very important.
1: So to be clear, you're not saying they can't get any work done unless they collaborate, but that it's important if they want to do bigger things.
0: So I believe that working in our silos that we can do as individuals and as as system resource groups, we can do good work, we can work at the top of our ability, perhaps. But for us to do the best work, we need to be able to identify those intersections and partnerships that allow us to take advantage of the innovation and different perspectives that diverse thoughts and diverse points of view bring into the room.
1: Got it. So tell me how you see this working from your perspective.
0: So I I would say that as the program leader for our system resource groups and councils, I'm privileged to be able to have set strategy at the highest level for our groups. And here at HM, we've developed what I consider to be a robust infrastructure of diversity councils and system resource groups. These groups, though, vastly different work together via, again, intersectional partnerships. So, for example, we have a regional divisional council structure that, serves different hospital hospital locations. And we have our system resource groups in that certainly do a lot of good work with their affinity group and, and, and making sure that we are inclusive of that perspective within the corporate structure of the company. But I would say, based on the area of focus, our resource groups partner with councils at local locations in order to advance their goals. So an example would be that over the course of the last year or so, we have done a lot of great work in the LGBTQ space, been a conservative organization, needed to do some culture shifting and move the needle in that space from a teammate engagement perspective as well as patient care perspective. So we have eight system resource groups here at Atrium, one being Equality, one EQ1, um, which is our LGBTQ affinity. And of course, all of our groups include allies. And so as we leverage that group as an employee resource group, as a business resource in order to advance the culture here at Atrium, we leverage that group for their cultural and technical expertise. In order to move the needle in that space. And so, an example would be that we may have given the councils a goal to create um, education in that space, to help teammates become more culturally competent, to become more understanding and aware and inclusive in how we deal with teammates as well as how we care for our patients. So, in this relationship, the councils, for example, because they were at a local facility, would create the space. They would bring teammates into the room who are ready for the education. And then we would leverage the EQ1 leaders leaders for their expertise to deliver the education. Again, a symbiotic relationship that allows us to create a vast amount of education, much more than we could have by using just one system resource group and or the Department of Diversity and Inclusion. So that's just one example of how we have created that synergy across resource
1: groups. You know, as I'm listening to you, I remember interviewing one of your colleagues and he mentioned that you're very well known for the term force multiplier. And this sounds like it is a force multiplier. And as I'm listening to you, it's clear that you not only have these partnerships between the different ERG networks, but also between the councils and the networks. What about different departments? Like, for example, the training department, the uh, recruiting department, and those other groups, are they part of that intersectional mix? And if so, how does that work?
0: For sure, and I would say that departments across the system. But I think would think especially when it comes to talent acquisition, when it comes to organization development and learning. I mean, there are some go-to partners that our groups can go to in order to help advance the needle and to create best-in-class. I would say services and opportunities for our teammates and for the community of our patients. We don't hesitate to reach across and bring partners in to make that happen. And our structure may be a little different then some organizations where we have the Office of Diversity and Inclusion at one, the top level, and then our infrastructure groups being reporting up to the Department of Diversity and Inclusion. But we have um, a quarterly, what we call, system resource group and council roundtable. So we have our leaders come together to talk as a group about what future opportunities there are. Where can you help me? Who should we pull into this conversation that's not a part of this group? being mindful that oftentimes our council leaders as well as our system resource group leaders are embedded already in talent acquisition, already into the quality department, or embedded already into the organization development. So we make sure that we, when we form those groups, we think about who should be at the table, And who should be a part of this conversation? And if they're not in the room, how then can we go out and engage with them in order to create these partnerships that help us to advance the work that we're doing?
1: Interesting. It's something that often is overlooked that when you have system resource groups, these groups tend to form around some commonly shared piece of identity or some other factor, but they actually come from different parts of the organization. So you literally have the ability to bring together different intersections or different pieces of the organization within these groups, just by the nature of the fact that the members come from different parts. Let me ask you this. How do you, as an organization, get around that resistance that some people have toward forming these types of partnerships?
0: That's a great question, and I think that um, our system resource groups and our teammates and, and people in general, I think it all comes together because we are part of the, the community of people as well as leaders of our groups. And I think it's for us, it's what has helped in that space has been cultural competence education so that our system resource groups understand and realize that we are part of a larger whole And it takes all of us working together in order to make a difference. They are born out of a group that has commonalities. And so when I speak of affinity, I mean that commonality piece. And what we try and do with our groups is to educate them to understand that we want that commonality. We want to leverage that. But in order for it to be most effective and for you to get the most bang for your buck, you need to reach outside of that group to bring in the diversity of thought and ideas in order to make the most impact. And oftentimes, the partners who can help you do that in the most effective way will be outside of your group. And so I think it's become common practice here at Atrium that even though all of our system resource groups are born out of commonality, we understand that when you have to get beyond that small, tight group in order to really move toward the goals of the organization. And for us, our goals are, and, and our mission is around health, hope and healing for all. And in order to, we really try and live that for all peace in all of our interactions. And so um, I think that's something that sometimes people will want to believe that I know it all Or if you're talking about my particular group, whatever my particular group is, that we bring all the experience and knowledge in, but we were creating, I think, an openness, an openness of perspective so that our teammates understand that because I am a part of the group, it doesn't mean that others cannot bring in a different perspective that will help me to expand and expose my membership to something new and innovative that really can help move, shift the culture and move the organization in a positive
1: way. That's really fascinating and insightful. I think that I'd love to hear you tell me more about that cultural competency piece. Mm -hmm. What do you guys do to bring that awareness? Because as you said, these groups tend to be formed around some element of commonality, usually some shared social aspect. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's a good thing because you're marshalling together people that are somewhat like-minded and like-focused in certain areas. But to be really effective, you have to also recognize the Power of difference, diversity, the power of connecting with difference—is this something you guys do intentionally with these leaders of your groups? And if so, how do you do that?
0: Um, we do it in a couple of ways. I think we start out with education, and we for us education is the baseline—we recognize that you're not going to get everything done. By simply educating people, but we do want our leaders, especially, but our team and team in general, the team of Atrium Health, to um, come from a shared level of understanding. So we have robust education around all topics of diversity, inclusion, and equity. And we make that available to teammates so that they can become comfortable in this space. But I think one of the most effective things that we have done to uh, move the needle in that space is having courageous conversations. Some years ago, we started working, we started really with the community, leveraging Atrium Health teammates and community members to have tough conversations around divisive issues that were going on within our community at large or within the nation. Connected purpose here at Atrium was the fact that from a mental health perspective as caregivers, if we're concerned and confused and feeling unsafe because of what's happening in our our community, we're not going to be able to come into work and deliver our best care to our patients take care of one another as teammates. So we started that outward focused courageous conversation where we got together in a location that was off-site and, and brought in community members and teammates from H.M. to have these conversations. That has morphed into, and it's taken over like wildfire, what we call courageous conversations or let's talk. So we, um, we allow our teammates to come together and have just shared conversations around issues that they are curious about, issues that they're concerned about or issues that they think we need to be educated on in order to be more inclusive and understanding, to build that team that will allow us then to be more accepting of different perspectives So, and understanding how that helps us as an organization live our mission of providing the best and care for all.
1: So let me ask you this then. Let's say that, you know, I'm in an organization that doesn't have those processes in place. Mm -hmm. It sounds like your systems resource groups are the beneficiaries of something larger that you have going on in place in terms of of having those types of tough conversations about tough topics and being open to a lot of these other ideas of how difference can be helpful and so forth. In some organizations, a lot of organizations, people realize those things, but they may not have some of those elements that you talked about in terms of some of those programs or processes. What do you recommend that an employee resource group or a business resource group leader who's in an organization like that do in order to try to acquire some of those components for themselves and their group?
0: Great. great, Another great question. And um, understand that at Atrium, we may be in a different place than some organizations, but also think, though, that we have to, again, going back to the topic of intersectional partnerships, I would say that um, we're blessed here at our company so that if one of our smaller hospitals is interested in forming a system resource group or taking advantage, we have a model that we can we share with them and we provide resources and help in that, but if I was a part of an organization that um, perhaps did not have that expertise or those same resources, what I would recommend is look outside of the organization to see who could you potentially partner with. I mean, there are other health care organizations in the community, cross the industry. There are other companies in our community who have employee resource group. Here at Atrium, we partner frequently. We have a, a system resource group summit annually, and we partner with other other businesses and industries in our community and invite them in to share their best practices and to collaborate with us so that we can learn from them. Our system resource groups, our uh, young professionals, for example, or, or equality or veterans, they don't hesitate to reach out to other companies in our area to network with them and to sort of understand what their processes are and how do they do this and how did you learn that because we recognize we don't have to reinvent the wheel. For everything that we we is fine and for us it is fine for our system resource groups to learn and intersect and network with um, other employee resource groups who are not a part of our company and bring the things that fit within our culture within our leadership model bring them back and implement and execute on it and for us it's new and innovative but we took it from somebody else and so and we share that way we share our we don't if we do something well, we're more than happy to share it with our colleagues, even across industry or at other organizations. And that would be my recommendation, that if you're in a community where you're trying to stand up as an employee resource group, but you don't have the expertise in-house, reach out. We're members of diversity practitioners. We're members of national collaboratives where we can get information. We can research. I mean, there are a number of ways, but you have to be willing to understand that sometimes that expertise and support comes from outside of the particular small group members, perhaps, that you've already uh, pulled together. And so that is back to intersectional partnerships, I think.
1: Yeah, that's interesting, because I just think you, as we were talking and I was listening to you, you just took the intersectional partnership from beyond the walls of the organization being that, you know, if you're, let's say, a Latino group, rather than just trying to figure out all the answers within your Latino group, connect with allies and other, uh, other groups that are in the organization that are built around other identities and so forth, as well as different departments. And now I think you elevated it to, and also reach out beyond the walls of the organization to other organizations and other groups as a way of bringing even more information. And so that if you lack something, you can acquire that from one of those other groups. So I love that. It's intersectionality now at another dimension. So let me ask you this. I mean, I think that it's implied in everything that you say, but rather than having it implicitly said, I'd love to have you explicitly say it and talk about it. So from your perspective, how important is it for an employee resource group or a business resource group to really master this topic of intersectional partnerships?
0: I think it is a very, very important factor. Again, I, I mentioned earlier that I think that we can all work to the top of our top of our ability in our silos and do good work. But if you want to elevate it to excellent work, you need to bring in diversity of opinion and a diversity of, of ideas and other perspectives. Otherwise, you're going to keep doing what you've always done. So I think for and, and in the space of diversity and inclusion here at Atrium, I think we have been so successful because we have been able to develop a cadre of diversity champions and diversity supporters at all levels of the organization and uh, from all manner of groups within the organization. So our system resource group, we look to our executive sponsors and our leaders in general. We look to different departments. We look across different hospital locations or physician, uh, patient care locations, trying to bring all that in together in order to help us to meet the needs of more people in order to be more effective, in order to get the word out more, to be a force multiplier so that we touch more lives and touch more teammates. So I think that in order to be successful, if we were not being intentional about developing these relationships, identifying intersectionalities that would help us to do more and do better, we we would not be nearly as successful as we have been. And I would say that we have a ways to go as a company from a a, a system resource group, from a cultural perspective, but we have come light years in how we are inclusive and how we are respectful and how we are able to engage uh, all members of our team and how we engage in the community and be thoughtful and intentional about the work that we do. And I would attribute that in in a phenomenal way to being able to identify partnerships and partners who could help us move the needle who are potentially outside of our core group.
1: So just again, in terms of what you just said right now, it's clear that from your standpoint, your journey in terms of building even more partnerships and continuing to reach out to these different groups and so forth, it's far from over. You're still in process. What are some of the things that you're focusing on right now that you think are good areas to explore to develop new and expanding partnerships?
0: We look at our system resource group from a perspective, of how can they help us move strategy? How can they help us to achieve goals, company goals? And something that we are, what we do not have at Atrium at this particular point in time is a quote unquote disability employee resource group, a system resource group. So we're in the process and, uh, of creating a disability hiring strategy. And we, our intent is to leverage teammates to help us to be innovative and thoughtful and intentional about process and what we do and how we do it and to um, leverage all of our system resource groups. I mentioned we have eight. So how can they all convene and converge on this topic to help us move the needle in this particular space? So that is, I think, for me, what's uh, one of the things that's top on my agenda and that we are working on at this particular point in time. And so I would expect by the before the end of the year that we would that, that would be the next system resource group that would be stood up here at at, at Atrium. But what I foresee is leveraging our women's group, our physician multicultural position group, our Latina group, which is Unidos, our Equality One, our One Team One Mission, having everyone lean into this work because there's overlap. Either we're allies of each other's groups or because I'm a young professional doesn't mean I'm also not a veteran, doesn't mean I'm not also a physician, I may also be Latina. And so we understand that those intersections already naturally exist and we want to be able to take advantage of them.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like even as you're thinking about a new area to move into, you're not thinking of it as a standalone. You're not thinking of it as a, well, we're going to put a group together for this and a strategy for this that's totally indistinct from everything else. But you're thinking of it in terms of how do we leverage all the pieces that we have and how do we bring this other thing into existence or this other group interconnected with all the other groups. So again, it's sort of like you still have that organic connective, intersectional partnership way of looking at it, which I think is really important.
0: Yes, yes, 100%. We would not uh, think of it any other way because we recognize, again, that in order to, we have to work together in this. We have to be intentional. We have to identify those partnerships that help us to move the needle. And it's not just assistant resource groups. Again, if we're going to have a focus on uh, disability hiring, we need to leverage our hiring managers. We need to bring others into this process.
1: So let me ask you this, parting advice. Someone is forming a brand new group or an organization is forming a number of different groups in the spirit of this idea of teamwork where together everyone achieves more. How do you think they should approach it? What would be your advice given your experience with leveraging partnerships? My parting advice
0: would be don't be afraid to reach out to others to use your resources to be able to to have if you need to have a brainstorming session and say you know who are my resources I want to start this group they can't be afraid to reach out to others to not assume that you have it all internally identify and leverage an executive sponsor that executive sponsor is going to be in leadership spaces that perhaps the team certainly the members and and possibly the group leaders will not be in so have someone who's not afraid to stand up for the group, to speak on behalf of the group, to make the group's message known to their peers at the senior levels of the organization. And I would say, to if you have a group like in our case, again, uh, an Office of diversity and Inclusion, use, use us, use the leaders in order to move the needle and to support you in your work. Again, identifying, being intentional, identifying those potential partners, thinking about who should I, who can I contact? who could help me in this? And that has been successful, helped us to be successful. And I think it would help any new group to be successful.
1: That's great advice. And I think just this whole conversation that we've had has been just loaded with a lot of great advice. So I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thanks again for joining me today. Thank you so much. So let's stop and reflect on a few of the things that we've learned from Peggy today. Collaboration and intersectional partnerships with other employee groups and business partners is important if you want to handle bigger challenges and opportunities. Furthermore, due to the fact that we as humans are socially intersectionally connected, for example, a person can be an LGBTQ Latina who works in the talent development department, most groups already have connections to a host of potential partners outside their immediate employee network. And if you can't find other groups or departments to partner with within your organization, consider partnerships with resource groups in other companies and outside associations. Partners don't have to be members of our company. They can also be found in the larger outside community. And finally, don't be afraid to reach out to potential partners. They often stand to benefit as much as you do from the relationship. Coming up, our panel is going to take a deeper look at specific ways that partnerships between your organization's employee resource groups can be developed. All this and more when we return, but first this. ERG Power Talk is made possible through the support and sponsorship of Atrium Health, Health and Medical College of Wisconsin and Mass Mutual. These are companies that are leading the advancement of ERG practices way beyond the confines of their organizations. Thank you. Now back to our podcast. Welcome back. Let's meet our panel from Atrium Health In Charlotte, North Carolina, we have Dr. Benjamin F. Simmons. Dr. Simmons' specialty is family medicine. And from Lockheed Martin in Bethesda, Maryland, we have Cheryl Kern, Director, Global Diversity and Inclusion. Thank you both for joining me today. Dr. Simmons, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your relationship with employee networks.
2: So, I am one of the actual resource group leaders, our system network. I was um, designated as one of um, the three individuals to be a part of the leadership team. So, um, I'm a family physician, primary care doctor by education and training, and one of my areas of interest and passion have been within the LGBT community and patient population. And our organization did develop a system resource group or an ERG for individuals who are LGBT within the company. And after, gosh, I've been here for about 10 years, but last year they asked if I would be interested in being a part of the leadership team. So it's actually three of us who are over the uh, LGBT resource group and we call it Equality One here at Atrium Healthcare. Got it. Thank you. So, Cheryl, the same
1: question I asked Dr. Simmons. What's your relationship to employee networks and your organization?
3: Sure. So, at the uh, enterprise level, which is, I said, at our corporate headquarters, we have responsibility for our ERGs in terms of the strategic direction um, that, they, that they operate under. And uh, it's a neat relationship because while we govern at the enterprise level, we're in close contact with our five business areas who govern them at the business area level. So that's how we're connected.
1: Excellent. Got it. So, Dr. Simmons, I'm going to go back to you with my next question, which is, so why is it that you feel that partnerships across these networks is so important?
2: Well, when you're looking at your organization and trying to determine how the mission and work of the organization is done, a lot of that can be governed by the employees of the company. So in my case, my healthcare system, and it allows for a platform for what we call our teammates or employees to share ideas, um, collaborate on different initiatives, which ultimately can feed into uh, systems management as well as projects for the healthcare system to improve on anything within our, our system. Um, so that's how I view it and I have seen it function in that manner.
1: Great. So Cheryl, has that been your experience that when these various employee networks work together, it amplifies their ability to bring value to the organization?
3: It really has. I would say that it's been, it's showed up in so many ways in the organization when these groups come together. And we've got a really big focus now, because we are seeing the benefit from this, of having them intentionally focus on what we're calling cross-collaboration it's become an objective that we have this year for all of our groups. And what we're finding is it's really moving them not only within the groups, but in terms of impacting the company. We really are seeing the benefits of cross-collaboration and it is an area that we have intentionally focused on this year. And it's, it's much more than um, I think a buzzword because we hear a lot about cross-collaboration. We are actually seeing communities and ERGs come together and show tangible evidence that by coming together, they are actually seeing stronger results. And in particular, we've got some focus on some technology offerings, where all of the communities are now coming together as part of a project team, and they're going to be working on a common offering to benefit all of their members.
1: Excellent. So I'm going to stay with you for a minute there, Cheryl. So when you have these groups and they're working together, obviously each of these group has their own chair and their own leadership and so forth. What do you do to coordinate the effort? If you've got like three or four groups that are working on the same thing, do they collaborate as a group of chairs and it's sort of like one of these leaderless self-regulating teams, or do you set up some kind of structure to do that?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question because Because we've got a common structure that they operate within on a regular basis for their individual ERGs, but then when it comes to the initiative that I'm talking about that they're going to be collaborating on, we're actually forming a special project team, and each of them will identify, we won't tell them, but they will identify someone from their group that will sit on this new project team. So that's how we're going to manage.
1: Got it. That sounds pretty organized. Dr. Simmons, similar question. When you are operating across different groups and your group is working in collaboration with another group, how do you coordinate that? Do you do it similar to the way Cheryl's organization does it or do you do something else?
2: So there are two ways that we coordinate um, our efforts between the resource groups One, direct communication from the system resource group leaders. So we all will have each other's email, or we can find each other's um, contact information, send out a quick email, hey, this is what's going on in our group, or this is a work that we're doing. But we also have a platform within our system that we use called Yammer, which allows for everyone within the hospital system to be a part of one of the resource groups and follow the other resource group. So you don't have to be a member of that said resource group, but you can sign up and get all the updates and post information, almost like a social media platform within the hospital system. So that's a. Uh, excellent way that we also collaborate and communicate and share information um, regarding initiatives amongst the resource groups.
1: So there are two ways that you guys have described here. One way is more formal where a project is set up and there's somebody leading that project and then they acquire people who are involved in that project who are part of different groups. So that's one way of creating an intersectional team to focus on a particular effort. And then the other way, which you just described, Dr. Simmons, is more of an organic relationship between all of these groups that they're able to see what each other is doing and they can volunteer to participate or get involved in different ways and so forth. So, I mean, either of those can work just fine. So that's great. So let me ask you this, and I'm going to stay with you for a second here, Dr. Simmons. me an example of something that you think has worked really well, a success story that's come out of that organic interconnection that you just described now, facilitated by things like Yammer and so forth in your organization.
2: From my perspective, one of the main projects and initiatives from a diversity and inclusion standpoint was really in fully integrating individuals who are employed to feel safe to come out as LGBT um, or Q within our healthcare system. And by leveraging the different system resource groups, we were able to collaborate and work together to actually get our non discrimination statement to be fully inclusive of sexual orientation, gender identity, um, gender expression, So it became fully inclusive and we also leveraged our multicultural physician resource group. We leveraged the LGBTQ um, system resource group, the young professional resource group. So that was one initiative, which also fed into additional support within the LGBT uh, employee standpoint by getting the young physician group. So those are young professionals um, who are also have a separate group as well, adding support and help leading that change and leading that initiative. Because if we all say it's important, And our leadership is saying, well, all of these teammates are saying that this is important. This is an initiative that we should act on.
1: Yeah, excellent. So Cheryl, same question, but I think more from your approach, which is more where it's it's, a little more systematized. Give me an example of a success story using that approach.
3: So the one that comes to mind from last year, um, so separate from the project that I talked about earlier, was when we pulled together... Uh, and polled all of our communities to find out um, their thought and to get their input around a policy that the company was considering changing. We found that from our seven primary groups, that there were two that were being positioned to be unfavorably impacted if the policy went into being as it was being proposed. And so by then narrowing our focus from the seven down to the two, those two really became almost like a sub-advisory group that ended up giving um, our benefits team and ultimately our HR leadership team, and then ultimately all the way up to our CEO's office Um, a different perspective around the potential impact. And we actually ended up rewriting the policy to favor both of those constituencies.
1: That's excellent. So as I'm listening to the two of you talk about this, whether you come at this intersectionality through a formal uh, approach, like the one Cheryl's describing, or you come to it through a less formal approach where essentially what you've done is you've set a platform that enables people to transparently see what the others are doing and to get involved in things that each of the other groups are doing based on wanting to be involved and seeing the potential for doing some good being involved, that more organic approach. Regardless of which of those two approaches you use, it sounds like intersectionality produces good results. So, Dr. Simmons, how come everybody doesn't want to do this? What prevents them from doing it?
2: Wow, excellent question. <laughs> um- I, there can be con- there could potentially be some concern in regards to, well, we don't need to separate everyone out into subcategories versus everyone will just work together. So that false assumption that everyone's just going to organically work together is not the case. There are some differences among the different service lines within any organization particularly with mine, I'm in a healthcare organization. So the service lines and the needs of the different employees or teammates within our healthcare system are different. And so by having a platform that allows individuals of common background and common experience to get together and actually share and discuss what their particular needs are and their expertise, because we view each of these as SRGs almost like you are the content expert so we have a multicultural physician srg this group is a collaboration or a group of individuals who are minority physicians within the healthcare system and therefore our needs are much different than the majority um, physician group within the healthcare system and we are the ones that feed in and give recommendations of what we need within the healthcare system by being minorities within the healthcare. Same thing for the LGBT SRG, giving a a safe space of people of common experience to come together to share their needs and also share their concerns and then collectively provide, these are our top recommendations that we really want the healthcare system to focus on. So we cannot have a false assumption that just because we all are, hey, well, you're all in the same department together, therefore you get along and everyone has the same ideals or same ideas of how the organization should proceed forward is a false assumption by breaking it down and really sparsing out or paring down what are the specific needs of each subculture basically within an organization then collectively working together to create a better experience for all.
1: So your thinking is that one of the fears that group members might have that prevent them from collaborating more and working together is that they're afraid that the organization might look at this and say, well, look, they're all working together. So why do we need all these groups? Furthermore, you clearly see that you need to have the different groups, as you call them sort of subculture or component groups, as this intact group that focuses on certain things that are important to a particular social segment, let's say, of the organization. And then you also need to provide, which is what you have in your case with Yammer and so forth, you need to provide transparency to what those groups are doing so as to allow people to see what these other groups are doing, and to collaborate with each other effectively. So you kind of need both, right? You need both to have the separate group, but you need to have the transparency so that the two groups have the ability to work with each other. If you're lacking the separate groups, then certain topics may not get the volume that they need. And if you lack the transparency, then that volume may be loud, but it may be hidden under a particular silo and so that partnership piece that we're talking about today the intersectionality piece may not work so you need both of those elements cheryl over to you now same question
3: yeah so i think your original question was so why aren't more leaning into intersectionality and leveraging it and i, I it's a, just a great response from the doctor and i i would you know agree with everything that he said but but just also want to point out i think what is still a reality that remains that could create um, a sense and a perception that intersectionality is not always the best um, approach. So if you think about all the work that still remains within the individual groups that exist in a corporation, despite all the progress we've made, all the progress that still remains, I think there's two camps. There's a camp that says, if we do bring groups together, are we actually unintentionally or maybe even intentionally diluting a more focused um, amount of attention on the individual needs that are still remaining across those groups individually? And so when you bring them together, while there may be one big issue that they can all focus on, that one big issue, once it's done, still doesn't do away with the fact that if you're a latino or if you're an african american or if you're a woman that there are still distinct issues that are there so i've worked in a company before that was not ready for separate groups and we had a big multicultural group right and so even before we were talking about intersectionality we were forcing intersectionality because we were not ready to really deal with and to focus on the individual needs And I will tell you that while it was very, it felt very good, we got a lot done, people would still walk away and say it still did not meet their individual needs. And so I think there's a place for both, the intersectionality, but then always doing it with eyes wide open that, let's not confuse that with the fact that there's a lot of issues that still remain within each of the individual groups that has to be addressed.
1: Great point. Yeah. So I think you both are saying the same thing from two different directions, but I think what it really adds up to is that it's not, let's have a bunch of different groups that are all working separately on different things, period. And it's not, let's have one ginormous group that's working on everything. It's really a mixture of the two. So what would you advise organizations that want to have the best of those two worlds? So as an example, let's look at an organization called, X. They've got a bunch of different groups. They've got LGBTQA group. They've got a women's group. They've got an African-American group. They've got Latino X group. They've got Asian South Pacific Islander. They've got groups, 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 and they're looking to create a situation where these groups will be able to work together on certain things, maybe not on everything, but on certain things? What are some of the elements that they should put in place in order to encourage some intersectional work while these groups maintain also a focus on individual things that are important to these different sub-communities? Cheryl, I'm going to stay with you on that first.
3: Yeah. So for us, we try not to make it overcomplicated. So we hold bimonthly calls with all of our leaders of our groups, and so we have our finger on the pulse of those items that are that in common matter to them most, and we attempt to focus on areas where they all could beneficially gain. And so when I used the earlier example, I talked about the project team that project team is actually going to be working on an idea that was, and I think this is the beauty, an idea that was generated from one of the groups, but that all of the groups then realized they could benefit from that focuses on technology. The great thing about this, it's going to also benefit our corporation. And so there's a lot of energy and excitement around. There's something that's in it for each and every one of our groups there's also something that is in it for the company. Therefore, everybody is all hands. And so for us, we actually have a tangible example of that. And we don't want to make people get on board with something that doesn't benefit them. And so we seek to find those areas where there's mutual benefit to all of the groups. And, and we've had two examples of that. And so far, both of them are working well. Got it.
1: That's great. So bringing them together certainly is a, is a key, bringing the different leaders together and providing transparency to different things that you would like to do and seeing how it resonates with the different group, uh, group leaders. Dr. Simmons, what about your, what is your position on this? What are some of the things that you think might help multiple groups to be able to uh, see opportunities where they can work together?
2: So the, the, the two ways I would recommend um, and I've seen done at my organization, yes, a social media platform, something that's more relaxed, people can log into, post comments, questions and updates and announcements, but also bringing all the group leaders together saying we're going to have a, a all system group meeting. Yep. This, is, this is the leadership of this group. This is what they're doing. Let them report out what they're doing put them together in a lunch and learn or an evening session. And that way you can put a name with a face and share some contact information and then collaborate that way as well.
1: Yep, you're doubling down on what Cheryl said which is good. Yeah, I agree that bringing the groups together is definitely something important especially bringing the leaders together and any tool that allows people to sort of have that, that transparency uh, certainly is is a big help. So parting advice Dr. Simmons I'm going to stay with you. Parting advice for people who are listening to this and saying I want to benefit more by having more collaboration between my group and other groups and the organization? What's something that they can do? Let's assume that their leadership doesn't currently have meetings where they all connect together. They don't have that platform that we talked about. What's something you would recommend that they do or that I do? Let's say if I were the chair of one of these groups and I said, gee, I, I see it, the value of this. What can I do to connect more with the other groups, gain that transparency, and possibly partner on a few things? Dr. Simmons, let's start with you.
2: So, parting advice would definitely be there needs to at least be some type of introduction amongst the group. So, doing a survey of who are the group leaders, who are, where are they, where they work in the organization and then bring them, bring them together, find some point in time and location, or electronically and to bring them together in order to at least begin the conversation of what projects are you working on, what initiatives are you working towards, and then see if we can collaborate, because you might find out that group X on one side and group Y on the other side they are kind of tackling the same concern or project within the system, but looking at it at different viewpoints. And then they're spinning their, their wheels and working extra hard to figure out the other side of that, that coin, when really the other side of the coin is already being worked on by another group. You bring those two together, it's like, oh, well, we're both doing very something similar. Let's push this init- initiative forward.
1: Yep, absolutely. Great advice. Thank you for that. And if I were that group leader and somebody else didn't do that for me, I could probably certainly do it, do it for myself, right? I can, I can basically say, well, who who's running all the other groups? Who are the chairs of these other groups and so forth? So that can work either way within an organization. Someone can promote that or you can take the initiative if you happen to be the the group leader. Cheryl, same question, parting advice?
3: You know, I was listening to the, um, to, to the doctor and I mean, just such wise advice and insights and it really resonates with me and, and I, I think from my standpoint, I would build on what he said by saying there's probably what I would kind of call the three E's that are really, really important. I think the first one is exposure. You need to give exposure to these groups so that it can really open up the awareness, as the doctor talked about, to what some of the needs and the issues are out there that could be tackled. You know, I think the second thing is then engaging these members and inviting them in and moving them away from their individual silos to understand that there's a common need and a common purpose And then I would say the third one is really exchange. And that exchange really becomes the true collaboration. When you get that exchange engine really moving, and Joe, you were with us last year, and you talked an awful lot about how you accelerate the progress. When that exchange gets moving and builds off of that engagement, it is a powerful thing that takes on a force of its own that really, if leaders and companies don't pick on and take advantage of, they're really missing out on. So I really think it is really that exposure, that engagement and then that exchange that results in that collaboration that has the organizational impact.
1: Great, thank you for that. You know, I'm going to memorize those 3 Es and I'll attribute <laughs> the
3: doctor <laughs> the doctor helped me with those because when he was talking I said, "Oh, that sounds like exposure." Oh, that sounds like and he actually talked about engagement, so no, thank that's you, doctor. <laughs>
2: (laughs) You're welcome. That's collaboration right there. That is collaboration right there.
1: That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And on that note, we're going to end. I'm going to thank Dr. Simmons and thank Cheryl for joining me today. I think that this discussion has opened up some areas for exploration in terms of how to magnify the capabilities of your particular group in terms of being able to achieve more for your members, your organization, and your community community by partnering with other groups. So thank you both for being my guest today. I really appreciate it.
3: Thank, thank you. you, Joe. Thank you.
1: So here's what I got out of this panel discussion. Intersectional partnerships are another type of force multiplier that can enable you to tackle bigger opportunities and challenges than those you might be able to handle as a lone group. However, we don't want to lose sight of the fact that there is still a case to be made for the value of having separate groups. Separate groups like women's networks enable you to focus more deeply on topics that are of interest and value to mostly a specific community. The best of both worlds is to have separate groups that are able to engage in joint venture partnerships as needed, either through a formal mechanism like the one described by Cheryl or a less formal approach like the one described by Dr. Simmons. Either way, the goal is to provide what Cheryl neatly summed up as exposure to what's going on across groups, the means to engage with each other, and the means to exchange and give support to each other. Thank you for tuning in to ERG Power Talk. If you enjoyed and got value out of this program, please like us and leave a favorable review at your podcast provider's site. Also, invite others to listen to the show. I'm Joe Santana, and thanks again for tuning in.